Massey, come on, give her a hand. She comes to share. Thank you so much. Thank you, Pastor. I'm going to say, Pastor Long, Pastor Rose, you are blessed people to have been leading you. Amen? Amen. What a great anointed couple God sent your way. And it's just an honor for me to be with you. My husband, of course, um, Bishop Victor Massey, um, he's not able to be with us tonight. He's actually at church teaching tonight. Uh, but he, he sends his love, and he's praying for you, and he wanted to make sure you know that. He's praying for all of you. I think you guys had lunch this, uh, recently, and uh, he's just enjoyed getting to uh, know your pastor. And, uh, and I had some time with Rose before service. What a joy it was to get to know her a little better. And I, I am excited about what God has in store for us tonight. And, uh, he, you know, he talked about, Pastor talked about me sharing a little bit about myself. This is not about me tonight. This is about Jesus tonight. Uh, so I, I don't even want to focus on anything uh, uh, when it comes to that. Uh, but I do want us, in honor of the word, to stand as I read scripture. And if you have your Bible... Go with me to the book of Job, the book of Job, chapter 8. And I'm actually going to read this passage to you in two different translations. In, in the New King James Version, and then I'm going to read it to you in the New Living Translation. But feel free to look at it in the translation that you have. Job, chapter 8, beginning with verse 5. And this is what the scripture says. It says, if you would earnestly seek God and make your supplication to the Almighty, if you were pure and upright, surely now he would awake for you and he would prosper your rightful dwelling place. Though your beginning was small, yet your latter end would increase abundantly. Now, I want to read that to you in the New Living Translation. It says, but if you pray to God and you seek the favor of the Almighty, and if you are pure and live with integrity, he will surely rise up and restore your happy home. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And though you started with little, you will end with much. Praise the Lord, somebody. Isn't God faithful? Isn't he good? I, I, I want to, you know, we come to these kind of services often looking for a word from God. We look for God. God, I need you to give me a word. But sometimes a word isn't enough. Sometimes a, a, a promise isn't enough. Sometimes a rainbow word's not enough. Tonight, God wants to give you a picture. He wants to show you something, revelation, in such a way tonight. I, I want to talk to you on what do you see? What do you see? 
Would you just lift your hands if you feel comfortable in doing so? And let's present ourselves to the Lord to hear what he would have to say to us. Father, we thank you for your spirit. We thank you for Jesus the Son. We thank you, God, that your Holy Spirit is here to give us a revelation of Christ like we've never had before. Open our understanding. Open our ears. Open our eyes, God, tonight. Speak, Holy Spirit, to us fresh. Fresh and anew, Lord Jesus. We present ourselves to you tonight to hear what you would say to us. And we thank you in advance for what you will do. Anoint this word. Anoint it in the hearing of our ears, God, tonight for your glory. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. And you may be seated. I want to say what a great job your worship team did and, and, and your musician. Would you just, just give them a hand clap of appreciation? That's, you know, I go to some rather large churches that don't have that kind of talent. Seriously. Sometimes they don't even have anybody to play the piano. So you are, you are blessed, and thank God for that. Uh, you know, a few years back, I started having some vision problems. And I, I was noticing, Pastor, things were getting darker. And I, uh, I, I would just, you know, I just noticed my vision wasn't as clear. And so it got to the point where my husband came home one day and he said, he said, my God, woman, <laughs> he said, every light in the house is on. <laughs> I said, because it's so dark in this house. I hate how dark it is in this house. He said, Jamie, it's not dark. What if he, he kept telling me, go to a doctor. I, I would have so much pain in my eyes, I would end up in the emergency room. And I had been to the emergency room several times with just agonizing pain in my eyes. They would treat me with drops or some kind of antibiotic and send me home. And this just kept occurring. So at one point when I was in the emergency room, the doctor that was treating me there, she said, I've noticed you've been here several times for your eyes. And I said, yes, I don't know what in the world is going on. And she said, I want you to see a specialist. So I, I'm going to make um, a reference for you to see a specialist. And so I went to a retina specialist. And the retina specialist had no clue what was going on with my eyes. He did the same thing. He just treated it with an antibiotic, and, and it would clear up somewhat. The pain would clear up somewhat, but my vision kept diminishing. And so finally, I end up at, a, a, in particular, at, at this time we were living in Atlanta, Georgia. My husband and I had pastored in Atlanta for 18 years. And so we were living in Atlanta at the time. And, and so they ended up sending me over to Emory, Emory Hospital, where Emory University is. And a retina specialist there saw me. And when he looked at my eyes and they ran quite a, a lot of tests, and, and you know how it is. Oh my goodness, the brutality of all the tests and trying to figure out what's wrong. When he came back after running quite a few tests, he said to me, he said, you have a very rare eye condition. He said, as a matter of fact, only 8% of the world's population carry the gene that you have that causes the disease you now have. He said, only half of the 8%, 4% contract the disease you have. 
and less than that 2% are in the category that you are in, which leads to blindness. And then he just starts rattling off these experimental treatments that are coming out of Europe, and we're gonna try this, and we're gonna try this, and we're, I said, wait, wait a minute. I said, go back. What do you mean that it leads to blindness? I said, are you saying that um, I'm, you know, going to continue to have the issues I'm having? Are you saying that it's just I'm going to have to get used to it being dark? Is it is it legal, legally blind? What are when you say blindness? What do you mean? He said, I I'm saying that in the next five years you will be completely blind. And he said. So this is what we're gonna have to do to slow this process down. And then he begins to go through these experimental treatments. And it was, Pastor, it was as if I was in a tunnel and I could not hear anything else he was saying after that. It was like my mind was racing, Rose. And I thought, I was saying to myself, God, no, not now, this can't be. I mean, this uh, this cannot happen to me right now. And I have so much going on, Lord. I have so much ministry to do. I cannot go blind, Lord. God, what is this about? So I'm having this conversation with God in my head. And it was at this exact time, God began to deal with my husband. And was calling my husband out of Atlanta to go to Birmingham, Alabama to a church there that I did not want to go to. <laughs> I had no desire to leave Atlanta. My sons lived in Atlanta. I did not want to go to Birmingham, Alabama. And my husband and I, oh, for two years, he kept saying, God is telling me we're going there. We're going there. And, and I said, "Not you're going by yourself. That's what I told him. You're going by yourself. I'm not going with you. And, and, and for two years, I argued with God and my husband. I did not want to leave my children because my, my, my oldest son was on staff with Jensen Franklin. He was Jensen Franklin's worship pastor. My youngest son was on staff at the church we were pastoring as the youth pastor. I did not want to leave them to go to Birmingham. But after much of God dealing with me and God saying, this is what you're doing, we packed and we, were, we left to go to Birmingham, in the Birmingham, Alabama area to pastor a church. During this time, our house was on the market. We were trying to find a house in that area. Finally, after six months, we found a house. I went back to Atlanta to pack up the house while my husband was trying to get settled in the new home. And Pastor, as I was packing the house at that particular time, it got to be about 1, 2 o'clock in the morning. I, I was exhausted. So I decided I'm just going to lay down for a little while and get a couple of hours of sleep, and then I'll get back up and start working again. And I laid on the couch, and I fell into a deep sleep. And I was awakened with the voice of the Lord. And God was saying to me, Jamie, what do you see? Jamie, what do you see? I opened my eyes and I began to look around the room. And I said, I said to the Lord, I said, I, I see the wood grain in the ceiling. I see the, the, the color of the paint. I see the tan wall. 
I see the crown molding. I, I start telling him the things I'm seeing in the room. And he says, no, Jamie, what do you see? And it was like I was transported in time. And I went back to, to a time in my life when I was seven years old. And I had been diagnosed with a heart condition. And it, it, a heart condition at seven years old. And my, I remember my family praying for me. My, uh, my church prayed for me. And the Lord healed me of a heart condition at the age of seven. Then the Holy Spirit took me to a time when I was 12 years old. And I was diagnosed with vocal nodules. And the doctor said I needed surgery to remove the vocal nodules. But the Lord healed me of the vocal nodules. And then the Lord took me to when I was 13 years old. And I was struggling with major depression. Diagnosed, I had major depression. At the age of 15, I suffered a complete mental breakdown. My parents were addicts, alcoholics. And I suffered a complete mental breakdown at the age of 15. My dad was murdered when I was 16 years old. I fell into a deep place of depression. But oh, how the Lord delivered and set me free from depression. Hallelujah. He took me in time to a place when I was in my 20s. And I was suffering with uh, panic attacks and anxiety and the Lord healed me and set me free. I thought my the heart condition had come back but I was having panic attacks and the Lord healed me and set me free from anxiety and panic attacks. The Lord took me from point to point in my life where he had healed me over and over and over up to the point that I was at at that moment when I was laying on the couch with a diagnosis that I would be blind and years and he said now Jamie what do you see and I said I see the faithfulness of God I see your faithfulness and he said so trust me trust me Jesus Jesus how I trust him, how I prove him or and Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus, oh, for grace to trust him. So you see, the promises of God are not self-fulfilling. Do we understand that? The promises of God are revelations of divine intentions. It's God saying, this is what I intend to do. Now, what are you going to do about it? Because I intend to do this, but what are you going to do it? Do about it. I, God, I, when, I, when I'm preaching, when I'm speaking, I'm trying to convince you of what the Word of God says. I, I'm Holy Spirit convicts and convinces us of this truth. But unless you believe it, nothing changes. It's just words. Unless you put faith in it, 
nothing changes. I, I, I can stand up here and I can speak, and if you don't receive it and you don't make that word activate within you as truth, it's nothing more than words. It, 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 it's, just, it's just words coming out of my mouth. But when you put faith to what the word of God says, then God can move and do something. When God says this is what I intend to do, I promise you he will do it if you put faith to it. Can't you praise God? Amen. God wants to do something in this house tonight. He wants to heal some people tonight. He wants to heal some people tonight. He, he wants to heal some families tonight. He wants to heal some hearts tonight. You know, Israel was pregnant with promise. They had a promise from God, but they died outside of the promised land. They didn't receive it. Because they didn't believe it. They doubted what God said to them. Therefore, they didn't obtain it. We can have the promises and never receive them if we doubt them. But I'm telling you tonight, if you will put faith to action tonight, God wants to do a miracle in somebody's life tonight. Do you believe God's going to do a miracle? I know he is. I know he is. And, and this is what we see. You, you've, got to, you've got to see it. You've got to see it so you can hold it. And this was the challenge that Job had. Job had to see restoration of all that he had lost. He had to see that God wanted to bring increase in spite of everything he lost. He had to see it so he can hold it. Now, Job, as we know, is the oldest book in the Bible. It was actually written before the Torah was written. It dates back to patriarchal times. It dates back to the time of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It's considered a book of poetry. Some argue that it was, it, it, whether it's a literal historical event or if it's allegorical. There are people that say it's just a, it's allegorical. It, it's, it's not, it didn't actually happen. It's a story to teach us something. And I'm not here to debate with you whether, whether it's history or it's allegorical. That is not what I'm here to do. But what I want you to see is that Job, it, it, there's a reason why this book is in the Bible. There's a reason why it was formed, and when the canon of Scripture was formed, it was left for us to still read today. There's something still that God wants to say to you and me through the life of Job that we can hang on to in times of testing. And so this is what we need to understand. Job had a view of God that he had built his life upon. And that view of God was, if I just do everything right, God will bless me. If I can be perfect enough, God's going to bless me. He built his life on this idea of perfectionism. That he was perfect and upright. He feared God, therefore he would never have a bad day. He would never have an obstacle. And he had built his life believing that that's, I'll be blessed as long as I keep the rules, follow the rules, and do everything right. And the story goes like this. He was the wealthiest man in the East. 
least he was blessed. He had a wonderful family. He had seven sons and three daughters. He, was, he had a healthy body. He had all, all the goodness and greatness you could ever ask or want. But the scripture says that the sons of God came to present themselves before the throne of God. And the scripture says that Satan was among them. And, and, and God looks at Satan and says, where have you been? And he said, I've been walking up and down in the earth and, and seeing everything going on. And God says, well, have you noticed I have a servant named Job? And, and we know after that, at that point, all the attacks begin. One attack after another. And it looks like Job's life is decreasing. It looks like he's not on the winning side. The scripture says this. Now watch. Thieves raid him. A wind kills his kids. And then fire kills his sheep and his shepherds. Did you hear that? Wind the thieves fire and the scripture says that the thief comes to steal kill and destroy we see this threefold attack going on with job the oldest book and see the devil has no nutrients he's been doing the same old thing since the beginning of time and here we see in the threefold attack and it was after the wind hit his family that job fell on his face and he began to cry out before God. And he began to worship in spite of what he was going through and what, had, and what was impacting his life. That devastating wind took everything precious at the point where his kid, he lost it all, but he chose to praise the Lord. I wonder if anybody would just join me in saying, I declare that God is king, even if it looks like he failed me. Can anybody say that? Even if it looks like God has failed me, he is still king. Do you believe that? Praise him. I wonder if anybody would praise the Lord even if it looked like he walked away and forsake, forsaken you. Ha have you been ever, ab ever able to praise God even if it looked like he abandoned you? If you know he's a God that can never forsake you, praise him in, in this room. And this is important. It's important that we tell the enemy that God's people will pursue him and pursue his heart even if we don't see his hand. We need to let the enemy know that. I'm going to pursue God, and I'm after the heart of God, even if I don't see the hand of God. That's the kind of commitment we all need to have. So here it is, Job. He's surrounded with all this decrease. But if you look at the book of Job, it is a book of poetic justice because it shows God turning around everything. It's a, a book about restoration. It's a book that says God will avenge you of your adversaries. Whatever the enemy has tried to do, God will avenge you of your adversaries. But now I told you what Job's view was, but you need to understand that Job had some friends. And they all had a viewpoint of God. And according to the ancient scholars, the friends of Job all represent different viewpoints that humanity has of God. And we still see people that have these viewpoints of God today. We see these positions. Uh, there was a friend he had named Eliphaz. 
Eliphaz was the son of Esau. You remember Esau, he sold his birthright. Yes. He was the son of Esau. And Eliphaz, Eliphaz uh, had this perspective of God that represented the biblical or the rabbinical traditional view of God. And this was Eliphaz's view of God. The view that he has is, Job, you are being punished for your sins. You have sinned somewhere. And all this calamity, all of this bad stuff has happened to you because you have sinned. It's this image that God is mean. God is a mean, mean God. And that's the viewpoint Eliphaz had of God. And there are a lot of people in the world today who have that viewpoint of God. But then Job had another friend, and his friend's name was Zophar. And Zophar, he had the viewpoint of the Asherites. And this viewpoint said this, Job, you are suffering because this is the will of God for your life. It is the Lord's will that you suffer, that God is sadistic. He loves to see people suffer. So the more you suffer, the more you please God. That was the viewpoint of the Asherites. There are still people throughout the world that believe this, that the more you inflict pain on yourself, the more God enjoys that, that God is some kind of cruel being up there who wants to make sure humanity suffers. And so this is the viewpoint of, of, of Zophar and the Asherites. And so then there was this other friend named Bildad. And Bildad had the viewpoint that said of the Mutsonites. And his view was this. Job, this is a test. This is only a test. You know, there used to be this old thing, this is only a test, this is only a test. That, that's, that's Bildad's viewpoint. If this is only a test. So each one of his friends are throwing out, this happened to you because of this. And this happened to you because of this. And all of these viewpoints are being hurled at Job. And, say, and Job is wondering, why? Why has all of this happened to me? Why have I lost my family? Why have I lost my health? Why have I lost my possessions? What have I done since I was perfect? I did everything right. I checked every box. Why is this happening to me? And so I just want to pause right here and say to somebody, you better be careful who you listen to when you're going through a trial. You better be careful whose voice you listen to when God is allowing you to walk through the fire. You better be careful whose voice you entertain when you are going through difficulty because the enemy loves to accuse God to the saint. The enemy loves to come and whisper in your ear and say things to you to accuse God. God doesn't love you. God is mean. God is cruel. I want you to know God is not mean. God is not cruel. God is good. God is faithful. God is compassionate. God is loving. Do you know the Lord? Praise him. And so after all of these viewpoints, Everyone throwing in their opinions. God begins to speak. And God says, everybody's got a viewpoint. 
But now, let me give you a picture. Woo. God says, I'm going to show you who I am. And this is what he says in Job chapter 38. He says, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you know so much. Who determines its dimensions and stretch out the surveying line? What supports its foundation? And who laid its cornerstone? As the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy. Have you ever commanded the morning to appear and caused the dawn to rise in the east? Have you ever explored the springs from which the seas have come? Where does light come from? Where does darkness go? Can you take each to its home? Do you know how to even get there? But of course you know, God said. Of course you know all this. For you were born before it was all created. And you are so very experienced. Do you know the laws of the universe? Can you use them to regulate the earth? Can you shout to clouds and make it rain? Will you discredit my justice and condemn me just to prove you are right? Are you as strong as me? Can you thunder with a voice like mine? All right, put on your glory. Put on your splendor. Put on honor and majesty. Since you are my critic, but do you have the answers? Then Job replied to the Lord, I will cover my mouth with my hand. I have said too much already. Suddenly Job's eyes got open and he could see this thing is bigger than I even understand. I cannot comprehend the large encompassing great God that we have. My mind cannot even comprehend. And he's sovereign and he's in charge and he sees something on a scale that I cannot see and therefore I choose to trust the Lord regardless of what is happening. Can you thank God? It was like his eyes were opened and he could see and he recognized this God who sees things from a different standpoint whose viewpoint is so different than ours. And God was saying, don't you know from the very beginning, from the foundation of this world, there was a lamb that was slain. And that lamb is Jesus Christ. And he was slain from the foundation of this world. He was slain because God was guaranteeing that you and I would overcome through the shed blood of Christ. He was guaranteeing that no matter what Satan would do, God would restore everything back to us. He was slain from the foundation of the earth to make sure that every single one of us would have everything we need in times of difficulty and trouble. He was slain before the foundation of the earth to ensure that you would make it, to ensure that your family would make it. He was slain from the foundation of the earth to ensure that you would be victorious. And suddenly, Job's eyes got open. God wants to open somebody's spiritual eyes tonight. You've been looking at things in the natural and you're diagnosing things according to the natural. But you've got to see things in the spiritual. Come on. Pastor, before I came here tonight, 
my youngest son, Caleb Joshua. Caleb Yahshua. We call him Caleb Joshua. He, I, I, when he was born and they handed, to, handed him to me, I felt the Holy Spirit and I began to prophesy. And I, as they handed him to me, I said, you are Caleb Yahshua. And you will fight giants and you will win. I had no idea what kind of giants he would fight in his life. He was diagnosed with juvenile diabetes when he was 10 years old and began to take injections. There were so many things that happened to this child, I don't even have time to go into it. But he's recently had a, suffering a lot of pain and been in some excruciating pain and ended up at the doctor. And he called us, they, they are diagnosing him now with rheumatoid arthritis. He's young, he's young. And he's like, he was FaceTiming with me at about five o'clock and, and, and his, Nubia, his wife, she's from Brazil and her dad is a mission, he's been in mission work for many years. And Nubia had called me before, she said, she calls me Mama J, she said, Mama J, we gotta pray for Caleb. He's depressed, he's discouraged. And so as soon as Caleb, Yeshua, Caleb, as soon as the FaceTime came on, I said, man of God, Man of God, you will fight giants and you will win. Get up. Get out of your pity party. Get up. Rebuke the devourer. Rebuke the enemy who's trying to attack your life. Declare that you are healthy and healed. And get up and speak to the enemy. Do not give in to this thing. This thing is lying to you. The devil is nothing but a thief, a robber, a liar, and he has come to steal, kill, and destroy. Get up, man of God. Oh, somebody help me. Somebody needs to hear this tonight. Because you're looking at something tonight. And you're wondering, how is this going to happen? What in the world is going to come of this? Do we understand? I've had people go, oh, but Job, he, yeah, in the latter part of his life, yeah, he got everything back. He, he got his, he got double for everything that he lost. Yes, but when you lose a child, you can't replace a child. He lost 10 kids. When you lose a child, you cannot replace a child. And I always, when people say that, I want to say, do we understand that we are eternal beings? Do you understand he has not lost a child? Do you know that right now, Job is in heaven with all 20 of his children? He did not lose. He won. He got double for his trouble. Come on and praise God. wants us to do. He wants us to look at things from the perspective of defeat. That God is opposed to us. That God is against us. But I want you to hear me by the Spirit of the Lord. The Lord would have you know tonight, He is Jehovah Sabaoth. He says, I'm going to contend with those that are contending with you. I'm going to fight those that are trying to fight you. He's our great defender. You only have to stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. Come on and praise him. It was God's plan from the beginning when he allowed the enemy. When he allowed it, it was God's plan to bless Job double. From the beginning, he looked at it as an opportunity to bless the socks off of Job. God wants to bless you. The accuser of the brethren, the accuser, Satan, the liar, he wants you to doubt God's goodness. 
He wants you to doubt what God wants to do. But if you will just by faith. I told my son tonight, I said, we do not align ourselves with lies. Never have we, never will we. I don't care what man says. I know what God said when you were born. And God said you would fight giants. Yes, son. And you have fought a lot of them. But God said you would win. So you're going to win. You're going to win. Do you hear me? You're going to win. You're going to win. You're going to win. Come on and thank him. Pit 
bless you, Father. Thank you, God. Somebody's grieving, and you're, you're grieving a loss. You're grieving a loss tonight. I feel this in my spirit. I don't know who this is for. But you're grieving. You're grieving the loss of someone that you loved. Oh, and you have had a hard time moving beyond the pain of that loss. But I hear the Lord say tonight, now understand grief. Grief is important that we walk, that we go through the cycle of grief, grief in order to heal. But sometimes the enemy gets involved in these things and then a spirit of grief grips us and we can't get free from that overwhelming feeling of grief. There's somebody in the room that you just, you're grieving something you lost. And God wants you to know tonight, he's going to break that off of you. So whoever that is, just reach up and take it. Just reach up and take it. Take it. Father, I take it. I believe you. I trust you, Lord. You're going to turn this around for whoever this is in this room. You're going to turn this around. You're going to turn it around. Hallelujah. 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 Let's just take a moment and worship here. Worship. 